Thank you, Primary Chorus, for touching our hearts with your heavenly voices. We're grateful for what they have done for us today. The Savior, using every precious opportunity to teach his followers, was asked a provoking question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples were wondering of their place. The Lord probably held out his hand toward one of the little children in the group and drew the child to him, then replied, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then added, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Did not the Savior in this incident require of adults to find their childhood again, to abandon weaknesses or evil? That child faith most loved must be regained? The Savior then added, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And perhaps still holding one close to him, he continued, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were dropped in the depth of the sea. A rather terrifying price attached to the purity of a little child. Their rights to truth and love are inalienable rights. Last October, the bountiful Utah State Primary encouraged each child to earn money to buy a Book of Mormon, to pay for the book with the money he would earn. Each placed his picture and testimony inside the front cover of the Book of Mormon. Imagine 620 such books were sent by these primary children out to the missions. A few days ago, one of those primary children, little Sarah Richards, received this letter. Dear Sarah, thank you so much for sending us the Book of Mormon with your picture on the inside. You are a very pretty girl. I will treasure the book and your picture and testimony always. I have just finished reading all of it, and I too believe it is true. I will be reading it many more times. Thank you again, and may God bless you. The primary. How did it come about? Did not the Lord promise the saints at Kirtland, if they be patient and faithful, that all things would work together for their good? And as the gospel unfolds, they would be taught line upon line and precept upon precept. The inspiration for a children's class came to Aurelia Rogers 100 years ago. In 1878, Farmington, Utah was a cultured community with over 1,200 people, a beautiful stone chapel, and they also had a relief society, a young men's literary association, and a young ladies' mutual improvement association, along with a brass band. But with all this spiritual and cultural influence, Farmington, like other communities, had its juvenile problems. Little boys out late at night, darkness and mischief, made the boys a challenge. These conditions concerned Aurelia Rogers. She pondered and prayed. 
Bishop John W. Hess, a Mormon battalion veteran, called a meeting of parents and urged them to look after their children. But in March of that year, 1878, Eliza R. Snow and others attended a Relief Society conference in Farmington. Aurelia Rogers recorded, After the meeting, these sisters stopped at my home. The topic of conversation was the young people and the rough, careless ways of many of the young men and boys. I asked the question, What will our girls do for good husbands if this state of things continues? Could there not be an organization for little boys and have them trained to make better men? Eliza R. Snow seemed deeply impressed with the question and indicated she would speak to the brethren in Salt Lake. Shortly, approval was received for a new organization of children. Bishop Hess asked Aurelia Rogers if she would preside over such an organization. She was willing. Aurelia wrote, In contemplating the possibility of an organization for boys, a fire seemed to burn within me. The query then arose in my mind, could there not be an organization for little boys wherein they could be taught everything good and how to behave? Up until that time, little girls had never been mentioned, but Aurelia felt that the class would not be complete without them. The name primary was suggested because it is the first or original. On August the 11th, 1878, Aurelia Rogers, Spencer Rogers was set apart to preside over that first primary association by Bishop Hess. At his suggestion, Aurelia Rogers and her counselors, Louisa Haight and Helen Miller, visited all the homes to secure the names of the children and to see if their parents were willing to send them to primary. Following this careful preparation, 115 boys and 100 girls came to the Stone Chapel August the 25th for the first meeting. Citizens passing the meeting house that day could probably hear voices singing, In our lovely Deseret, where the saints of God have met, there's a multitude of children all around. They are generous and brave. They have precious souls to save. They must listen and obey the gospel sound. That the children may live long and be beautiful and strong, tea and coffee and tobacco they despise. Drink no liquor, and they eat but a very little meat. They are seeking to be great and good and wise. They should be instructed young how to watch and guard the tongue, and their tempers train and evil passions bind. They should always be polite and treat everybody right, and in every place be affable and kind. They must not forget to pray night and morning every day, for the Lord to keep them safe from every ill and to assist them to do right that with all their mind and might they may love him and learn to do his will. Today the church honors a faithful and distinguished pioneer woman, Aurelia Spencer Rogers, a child of adversity, testing, determination, and much love who built her faith event by event, challenge by challenge. What of her beginnings? 
Orson Spencer and his six motherless children had ferried across the Missouri River and hurriedly moved into an unfinished log cabin in winter quarters. Their mother had died soon after the family left Nauvoo. The family had to settle before their father left. Brigham Young had called him to go to England to publish the Millennial Star. Orson Spencer had trained Ellen, just 14, and Aurelia, only 12, to be father and mother to the young, four younger children. He bought eight cows so there would be plenty of milk to drink and enough to sell. There was also a horse to be sold if necessary to buy supplies. That winter was long, cold, and lonely. Many people at winter quarters died, Aurelia wrote in her diary. We got through the first part of the winter pretty well. Our horse and all of our cows but one died. We had no milk or butter. Our provisions nearly gave out. We really suffered from something to eat. Sometimes we had nothing but cornmeal, which was stirred with water and baked on a griddle. And then she said, many a night I went to bed without supper, having to wait until I was hungry enough to eat our poor fare. Then one day, President Brigham Young visited the Spencer's one-room cabin. He found it neat and the children clean. Their father had been gone almost a year, and the saints were beginning to make preparations to start their move west. The children informed President Young that their father wrote often, suggesting what they should wear, what to do if they became ill, how to comb their hair, and how to take care of each other. But after Brigham, President Brigham Young read their father's last letter, he asked the children to consider a very important matter. He said, what would you say if your father stayed in England at least another year? We need him there. The children looked at each other and then waited for 15-year-old Ellen to speak since she was the oldest. If it is thought best, Ellen said quietly, we would like it so, for we want to do what's best. All the other children agreed. They remembered their father had once written, Though he slay us, we should trust in him, and all will be right. They had faith in their father, in his counsel, and in their father in heaven. And in the spring of 1848, the Spencer children with determination and grateful hearts moved west with the saints. During the two-year absence of their father, the six children experienced hardships and many trials. They crossed the plains to Salt Lake Valley, lived in an old fort, and then moved to a one-room adobe house. Relatives and friends watched over them, but the responsibility had rested on the two eldest girls, Ellen and Aurelia. At last, Orson Spencer was welcomed home amid shouts and hugs and kisses from his heroic little family. But while crossing the plains, Aurelia had met and fallen in love with Thomas Rogers, a young teamster. They married and set up housekeeping in a log cabin in Farmington. And here, there in the foothills of the Wasatch, overlooking the Great Salt Lake, Aurelia Spencer Rogers spent the rest of her life here she gave birth to 12 children, bearing five of them in infancy. And as the children grew, she became increasingly concerned about the lack 
of a weekday wholesome activity for her children and others. This, the genesis of the primary. Out of small things, a firm foundation was laid. Today, after a hundred years, this worldwide organization has not changed its purpose, which is to assist parents in teaching their children to pray and walk uprightly before the Lord. Each week, dedicated primary workers all over the world encourage parents in teaching their children to know and have faith in their Heavenly Father and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Aurelia wrote, Why should anything be allowed to come before the most sacred duty of parents, that of looking after the spiritual welfare of the children? She said, This was the question which burned in my mind. Though primary's responsibility is awesome, the modern parent challenge is even greater. In addition to harmful programs on television, there are drugs and child abuse, acceptance of violent acts and child pornography. Research indicates American children watch television one half of their waking hours. By age 12, the primary age, they will watch the violent destruction of 18,000 human beings. And by age 12, they will have spent 10,720 hours with television. But only 352 hours of primary, even if they have perfect attendance. Today, we not only honor Aurelia Rogers, but all the primary leaders and teachers who during the first 100 years have encouraged, have encouraged us to apply her motto. She wrote, Our children are our jewels. We have counted well the cost. May the angels ever guard them, and not one be lost. Primary began by inspiration. Primary will continue by inspiration to influence the world. God bless us as parents and spiritual leaders to understand what the Master really meant when he taught, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, I should like to address my remarks to the young people of the Church, the youth of the Church. I love the young people of the Church. I sincerely believe that the young people of today are some of the choicest young people that ever lived on earth. One of the reasons why I know this is because of the choice dedicated missionaries that I preside over in the Arizona Holbrook Mission. Missionaries of today are coming out more prepared, more mature, and more spiritual than ever before. You young people are among the most valiant, among the cream of all the spirits in the premortal life, and God has reserved you to come forth in these perilous times, the last days, for a divine purpose. The choice spirits coming to earth today were choice in the premortal existence before they came here. The reason they were choice in heaven is because they were obedient, valiant, and lived with exactness. In heaven, you young people, you live by sight, 
In other words, you saw with your spirit eyes, you saw God, you saw Jesus Christ, your elder brother, you saw Satan. When Satan rebelled in the war in heaven and tried to persuade you to follow him, you stood up for the Lord. You were true and faithful. You lived with exactness. You did exactly what the Lord wanted you to do. And now in these last days, in these crucial perilous times, young people, your heavenly Father needs you again to carry on his work. He needs you who, you who have passed the test in heaven, you who have been tried, you who were true and faithful, you young people that he hopes will resist every appearance of evil on this earth so that you will be just as true and faithful here as you were before and carry on his work in preparation for the coming of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, your elder brother, your Redeemer and Savior. To help you prepare for the Lord to use you, may I offer the following suggestions to assist you to be unspotted from the world. Number one, beloved youth, it is the will of God that you be virtuous. You are very elect. You are choice. You are a son and daughter of God. You can be virtuous. The Lord said, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Of all the possessions that you have, young people, virtue is the most important. It is a pearl of great price. Young people can strive, toil, and sweat all their lives for fame and wealth, but your greatest wealth and fame will come from virtuous living. The wealth and fame that comes from virtuous living are peace with yourself, your fellow man, and with God, the joys and happiness of righteous living. A fame of having your name recorded in Heavenly Father's book of life as one who is true and faithful and loves the Lord is far more important than being honored with the praises and glories of the world. Let virtue and purity be your shield and armor, and you will be invincible. As priceless as virtue is, wear it openly, and do not keep it in a vault like crown jewels. Paul declared, If any man defile the temple of God... Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Do not mock God, young people. Virtue is the law of God. Number two, young friends, it is the will of God that you pray unceasingly. As a young boy on the Navajo reservation, many times I found myself on my knees in our small, humble hogan. Many times I've been tried and tested. In those moments, I ask my Heavenly Father for faith, strength, and courage to withstand temptations. Many times as I was on my knees, my own brothers made a game of me, laughing and sneering and shouting through the cracks of the Hogan. But I was not bothered by them. Young people who kneel down and ask God for faith and courage to resist temptations very early in life will find temptations losing much of its luster and temptations very unattractive. You cannot receive a full-grown testimony that God lives and that the church is true any more than you coming into the world fully grown. You start small, but with consistency. Your faith needs nourishment through prayers. Exercise the muscle of your faith until it is one of such that it will sustain you. Beloved youth, get on your knees. The Lord has a testimony just for you, one that fits your size and needs. 
but you have to ask for it. Every young man and young woman should pray before going out on a date. A Navajo boy coming from a very simple, humble, poor circumstances, because he was on his knees, became a polished instrument of God. A praying young man becomes a praying man, and a praying man becomes a God. Number three, my young friends, it is the will of God that you stand up for the Lord, Jesus Christ, the church, and his righteousness. Joshua made a stand and then stood on it when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Beloved youth, you must do the same. You must make the same stand. With each new temptation, you should already know what your decision or reaction should be. That is, you would serve the Lord. You would, you would seek the praises of God and not the praises of man. Again, as a Navajo, a young Navajo boy growing up on a reservation, and as the only Mormon in my family, I was tempted many times by friends whose values were not as lofty as my own. Even my own flesh and blood, my own brothers and sisters, tried me. Two, three, four of my brothers sometimes would be so determined for me to live their way that one day they attacked me, attempted to bind my arms and legs. When I became helpless, they would pour all the wine and beer into me, but the plan didn't work. I resisted. I fought back with all the strength and courage I had. I managed to escape and run away from them, but I still loved them and asked Heavenly Father to forgive them. Beloved youth, you must do the same. You must stand up for the Lord, even against your own flesh and blood, even against your own brothers and sisters, even against your own loved ones and friends. Number four, beloved youth, it is the will of God that you serve him only and not after the image of your own God. The Lord said, They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God whose image is in the likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol. Beloved youth, you cannot hold hands with Satan and God at the same time. You have to let go of one or the other. When you worship hard rock music or any other worldly idols more than spiritual things, you are holding hands with Satan and are walking in darkness. You will become insensitive to the things that are spiritual. You will lose interest and motivation to attend church are to go on a mission. Doubts and fears will cloud your mind. You will begin to walk in your own way after the image of your own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol. The image of some sports stars, movie stars, rock stars, money, and sports cars is in the likeness of the world, and their substance is that of an idol. Do not worship them. Number five, beloved youth, it is the will of God that you be obedient. Discipline yourselves to become obedient to your parents, to your priesthood leaders, and to the Lord. Obedience leads to success and happiness. Disobedience leads to rebellion and spiritual decay. If your parents counsel you, do not go dating until you're 16. Listen and follow. If your priesthood leaders counsel you, be chaste. Listen and follow. If the Lord counsels you, every young man, to go on a mission, listen and obey. Again, the Lord said, 
I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not do what I say, you have no promise. Number six, young friends, it is the will of God that you search the scriptures diligently. Learn to love scriptures early in life. Have your own standard works. Scriptures enlightens the mind and brings strength, courage, peace, and calmness. Unwholesome worldly literature brings darkness to the mind. Scriptures will prepare young men for missions and to fulfill successful missions. Scriptures will prepare young women for motherhood and help them to become sweet, tender, loving mothers in Zion. Scriptures, more than anything else, will assist you to overcome the world and enable you to become gods and goddesses, kings and queens in the celestial world. The Lord said, What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken. I excuse not myself. Though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away. Whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. Young people, whatever form the temptation may be, take a stand and stand up for the Lord. You're too choice, you're too innocent, you're too sweet, and too pure to lose. Avoid bringing temptations upon yourselves. The worst kinds of temptations are the ones you plan and make arrangements for. If the world hates you and calls you a square, remember what the Lord said. If the world hates you, you know that the world hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world loved his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Do not do what the world does, young people. Be a square to the world. It's fun to be a square, to be weird, to be peculiar to the world. Your mission is to overcome the world, to overcome sin, overcome hate, overcome prejudice, overcome discouragement, overcome the carnal man, and be true and faithful again, the same as you were in the premortal existence. In the premortal existence, you passed the test. You were valiant. You were obedient. The Lord expects you to do the same here on earth in mortality, to be obedient, to be valiant. Someone said, No man goes to hell in a single jump. My young friends, I pray that you will be equal to any temptation that might might come to you and that you will avoid and be careful with the first appearance of evil. Today you are beautiful, choice, sweet, and pure, but tomorrow is up to you. Your future is bright and full of blessings. Youth is power. The greatest single resource that the church has is youth, and the greatest single important resource that the country has is youth. God loves youth. I love youth. I thank God every day for young people like you, and I pray that he will always watch you and watch over you forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. My brethren and sisters, I bring you greetings from the saints of Great Britain and South Africa. It's exciting to see how the work is moving forward in this area. There are now 27 stakes in Great Britain and one in South Africa. The leadership is generally very strong and the work is moving forward and blessing the people. And now, to have a general authority from this area, I'm sure the people will be excited. And Brother Cuthbert, I think I can safely 
assume to bring to you the congratulations and the blessings of the people in your native land. We congratulate you. It's really a pleasure to serve in this area. As I visit the stakes each weekend, I often ask the stake presidents what uh, the greatest problem they have in their stake is. And uh, so often their reply comes, the lack of commitment by the individual members of the Church, the lack of determination to put the work of the Lord first in their lives. And I think of the words of Nephi as I hear this. And I heard the voice from the Father saying, Yea, the words of my beloved are true and faithful. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if this is, is all. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were, by the words of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merit of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with the steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and the love of God and fellow men. Wherefore, if ye press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. End quote. How very important it is to have the light of the Holy Ghost to give us direction. The Holy Ghost, functioning through the priesthood, can greatly enrich our lives. And the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understanding, which light proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space. End quote. The Lord said to Frederick G. Williams, Wherefore? Be faithful, stand in the office which I have appointed unto you. Succor the weak, lift up the hands which hang down, and strengthen the feeble knees. And if thou art faithful unto the end, thou shalt have a crown of immortality and eternal life in the mansions which I have prepared in the house of my Father. End quote. God gives to each of his children his spirit to help them keep the commandments and fulfill the purpose of life. But it is written, I hath not seen nor heard neither hath it entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed it unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we, that we might know the things which are freely given unto us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, end quote. From President Lorenzo Snow, we learn the benefits of seeking the Spirit. There is a way by which all persons can keep their conscience clear before God and man, and that is to preserve within them the, the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of revelation to every man and woman. It will reveal unto them, even in the simplest of matters, that they, what they are to do by making suggestions unto them. Uh, we should uh, try to learn the nature of the Spirit, that we will understand its suggestions, and then we will always be able to do what is right. This is the uh, grand privilege of every Latter-day Saints. We know that it is our right 
to have the manifestations of the Holy Spirit every day we live. The Spirit is in uh, every man and woman, that they may not have to walk in darkness at all. And that is not, and it is not always necessary for them to come to the president of the church or to the quorum of the twelve or to the elders of Israel to get counsel. They have that counsel within them from the time they receive the gospel. When they go down to the waters of baptism and have hands laid on their heads uh, for the gift of the Holy Ghost, we have a friend, he said, if we do not drive it from us by wrongdoing. That friend is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which partakes of the things of God and shows it unto us. This is the grand means that the Lord has provided for us that we may know the light when uh, that we may know the light and not be continually uh, in the darkness always. End quote. The Apostle Paul admonished us about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, lest we lose it. He said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed up into the day of redemption. Lest uh, let all bitterness uh, and wrath and anger and clamor and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving uh, one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. End quote. President Harold B. Lee said, I have learned something about the Spirit, what the, that the Spirit has taught me. And I know that the place of safety is in this world is not in any given place. It doesn't make a lot of difference where we live. But the all-important thing is how we live. And I have found that security comes to Israel only when we keep the commandments, when they live as so that they can enjoy the companionship of God, the direction, the comfort, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit of the Lord, when they are willing to listen to these men whom the Lord has placed here as his mouthpiece, and when they are, obey their counsel and uh, keep the commandments. End quote. The, the lifeblood of the Church is the Holy Ghost functioning through the priesthood. The Church is guided in every move by revelation. The Lord said to Oliver Cowdery, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that is surely as the Lord liveth, who is your God and your Redeemer, even so surely shall you receive the knowledge of whatsoever things ye ask in faith with an honest heart, believing that ye shall receive. Behold, I tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. This is the direction which, this is the way the direction comes to the president of the church. It is the same spirit that gives direction to the stake president, to the bishops of the wards, and the individual members of the church. I like a verse from one of our hymns. Thy spirit, Lord, has stirred our souls, and by its inward uh, shining glow we see anew our sacred goals and feel the nearness here below. No burning bush near Sinai could show thy presence, Lord, more nigh. Did not our hearts burn within? Uh, we know thy spirit fire is here. It makes our soul for service yearn. It makes the path of duty clear. Lord, may it prompt us day by day in all we do and all we say. May I leave with you my witness, my brethren and sisters, of the truth of this great work which I have received 
in this same manner through the Holy Ghost as it has witnessed unto me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. With these young people behind me, I'm tempted to do as Brother Munson did and tell some stories as he did about these young people. But thinking of the translators and the time allotted me, I'll resist that temptation. I would like to sum up my message today into one word. This word is decision. Decision, I would say, is the use of that God-given right of free agency. Some people want to force their decisions upon others. Some don't want to make their own decision. Some have a gift of making quick and accurate decisions. Like all other gifts, the making of decisions requires practice. The more we do, the easier it gets. It's a lot like the city boy who went to work on the farm. He was sorting potatoes when someone asked him how he liked working on the farm. He said, I like the work all right, but these decisions get me down. It is said that character can be measured by what one does in his leisure time. That's when he alone makes his own decisions. One of the important purposes of this life of mortality is to learn how to make decisions. A good leader in business or in church or in the home is one who can make good decisions. Think of the decisions a bishop or a stake president must make. The Lord has said, This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. When this gospel plan was explained to Lorenzo Snow, he put the whole plan in a nice rhyme. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. Then if man is going to become as God now is, he will have to learn to make decisions of great importance on his own initiative. Many think that any problem will be answered by the Lord for us either through prayer or a priesthood blessing. Some young people want the Lord to tell them what subjects they should study, which school they should attend, which profession to follow, and which job offer they should take. True, much help may be received through prayer or a blessing, but the final decision is yours. I have come to believe that the Lord is not so concerned about what we study or what profession we follow as long as it is an honest living. He is concerned about our immortality and eternal life or exaltation. Everyone has inherent talents. From a study of your genealogy, find the talents you have inherited by the things you like to do and do easily that some of your ancestors have done, then become an expert or a specialist in that phase, in some phase of that field. The Lord will bless your efforts in your studies and in your daily work. The Lord gave Oliver Cowdery the key to Revelation. Behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your own mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you, therefore you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings, but you shall have a stupor of thought that shall cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. 
This should be our guide in all our major decisions. We are making decisions constantly, every, every day, either mentally or orally. This is what free agency is, the right to make a choice. With the growth of the Church today, we see the wisdom of the revelation given back in 1831 in Jackson County, Missouri. Behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be engaged in anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. Thus we say today, as did Moses when he came down off Mount Sinai, who was on the Lord's side, and as did also Joshua cry, now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Use your God-given free agency to choose honesty against dishonesty, to serve your fellow men and build up the kingdom of God. Decide early, early in life to go on a mission. Many young men who should go on a mission don't go because they had not made the decision early enough to plan on a mission. Then other activities seem to them to be more important. Decide to teach the gospel all your life, not just for a year and for two years. Going on a two-year mission usually just teaches us <clears throat> how to teach the gospel. <clears throat> then we should spend the rest of our lives teaching the gospel. <clears throat> Teach by your own actions. <clears throat> Live a good, clean life. Decide against immorality. Decide against pornography. Decide to live a clean life so you will be worthy to be married for time and eternity in the temple of the Lord. Choose not, to be, uh, choose not only to be worthy, but decide to marry in the house of the Lord. Choose to live the law of celestial marriage. The command in the marriage ceremony is to multiply and replenish the earth. In the Doctrine and Covenants, when the Lord is referring to the blessings of celestial marriage, here he is talking about husband-wife relationship, he makes this statement, And if ye abide in my covenant and commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood, and so forth, what do you think he's talking about? Is it possible that he was referring to abortion? Think about it. Is there more innocent life than that of the unborn child? And why is murder referred to when the Lord is talking about marriage? Conception is a contract with God, that you will create a body and he contracts to put the spirit of life within it. Any covenant with the Lord cannot be broken without a penalty. Choose to study the scriptures. Learn what the plan of the gospel is. Become a part of it. Choose to keep the commandments of the Lord. Be a part of his kingdom in preparing for his coming. Seek the guidance of the Lord in making decisions. 
but use that God-given right of free agency, then you too will know as I know that this is his church, the church of Jesus Christ, and I so testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Savior of us all invites each of us individually to come to him and asks us to bring to him a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Never before have I sensed the significance of that invitation and of that request to the extent that I do now. At the same time, I feel a surge of strength and of renewal for which I am profoundly grateful. I accept this calling with faith and hope, like the little turtle who found himself on the top of a fence post I know that I did not reach this place by myself. (laughs) To my beloved family, friends, teachers, leaders, and associates, I feel intense gratitude and devotion beyond my power to express. As I review my life thus far, it seems to have been much more difficult and much more fulfilling than I could have anticipated. I only pray that the cumulative experiences of this life have prepared me in some way for what lies ahead. For now I am called by the prophet of God to full-time, lifetime service in the cause of the Savior. And I have the sense of inadequacy that makes me realize that The preparation for that service has only just begun. To President Kimball, the other general authorities, and to each of you, I feel great appreciation for your sustaining vote, and I pledge to you my best effort in any assignments which may come to me. Nearly 30 years ago, in response to my earnest study and fervent prayer, The Holy Spirit confirmed to me the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the Savior and Redeemer of each individual soul. From that conviction and by that same Spirit has followed the knowledge that his gospel is eternally true, that it has been restored to the earth, that the scriptures which I love including the Book of Mormon, are divine records that Joseph Smith, his successors, including Spencer W. Kimball, are prophets of God, and that our Heavenly Father loves us individually. For this knowledge, I give thanks and leave you my personal witness that these things are true In the name of our beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.